Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 25th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The goal, as always, to be worth your time. This week we'll do it with a split top here at the beginning. Uh, Some on Alex Gordon, who announced his retirement this week, and some on the Chiefs, who will play one of the NFL's most anticipated games of the season in Baltimore on Monday night. We also have some great questions, uh, including my favorite in the history of the show, just being honest. And we will break down the game on Monday night with the voice of the Ravens. Um, huge thanks to you for listening. It's been a few weeks now, but I'm so happy that, you know, dropping the paywall has opened us up to new people and provided a better experience for those who've been with us from the beginning. Uh, the past episodes are easy to find in your feed right now. Everything from Dayton Moore and the State of the Royals rebuild to the Kansas Cityans with NBA connections trying to land a team to Patrick Mahomes' primary male role models on the particulars of how his personality developed. Uh, We work hard to provide you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. I hope it's worth your time, and I hope it inspires you to subscribe and support our work. You can get everything we do in sports for $30 for a year. It's the best deal in town. Reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email, and I will send you the link. Okay, uh, before we do anything else, I want to spend a few minutes with basically a tribute to Alex Gordon. Um, I wrote a column on him. It's up on the website right now. Obviously, I hope you read it. It is basically a love letter to one of the most interesting and admirable careers I've been able to see up close. I I was in my first full season covering the Royals full-time when Gordon debuted. I remember all that craziness in the beginning. You know, George Brett saying he was honored to be compared to him. You know, some saying he was the surest star they'd seen in years. I remember how that error card, um, which may or may not have been intentional, was being sold for just outrageous amounts of money. You know, look, I'm I'm not going to tell you that I know Gordon incredibly well, He's quiet. He's never liked attention. Um, but I have known him for 14 years. And I've talked to him in ballparks around the country, at his house in the suburbs, a, a bar in Omaha, a bus during an off-season caravan. You know, I've talked to him after strikeouts and home runs, you know, while he's scuffling and while he was at All-Star Games of the World Series. And I, I don't know how many people I've known that long for whom I could say this that he is the same guy as the first day we met, the exact same. He's older, obviously, um, so am I. Um, he's rich now, um, I am not. Uh, he, he's a husband and a father, and you know he has all these successes and scars that a long big league career requires, but he's the same guy. He's humble, he's smart, he, he wants to work, he wants to be a good teammate, he wants to be sure that he's maximizing every day. And I know that last part is something that we all like to tell ourselves, right? You know, make the most of each day. Uh, I'm not going to speak for you, I guess, but, you know, just being honest here, some days I'm a lot worse at that than others. You know what I mean? I'm sure Gordon would say that he's not his best every day or that there are days that he doesn't like feel the juice or whatever. But, you know, he never let on with any of that. Um, he never let anybody see him down, never brought anything but, you know, positive energy to work with him. And, you know, that's more than half the battle sometimes, right? You know, like Gordon's career, it's already something of a legend inside the organization. They they tell young players all the time about Gordon from the first day they joined the organization. Uh, they, you know, they tell him how... Gordon came into this game with more hype than they will ever know, failed as hard as they could imagine, and, you know, never gave anything less than full effort and, you know, worked through it and came through on the other end as an all-star, a gold glove winner, a World Series champion. You know, his pregame work schedule has, you know, literally scared off young players. They all think they want to do everything he does, but few have the nerve or the energy for it. You know, look like (laughs) baseball turns a lot of us corny, and I know I'm more guilty of that than most. 
but I think about his career a lot, you know. Um, I've had my own disappointments, my own struggles. Um, I'm sure you have too. You know, nothing as public as Gordon, obviously, but, you know, we all feel our own pain acutely. You know, and I'm not sitting here telling you that I got through a professional letdown or a personal failure because, you know, dang it, if Alex Gordon did it, then so can I. But what I'm telling you is that doing this job, you can't help but see that man as an example of how to live a pretty dang good life and and how to make the most of what you're given. Uh, I guess what I'm telling you is I'm, I'm going to remember covering his career with as much personal appreciation as anyone I've known through this job so far, or I feel like I'm likely to meet from this point forward. Um, okay, sorry, that <laughs> just had to be said. Um, but we also can't have a show this week without talking about the Chiefs and the Ravens, which, um, you know, I don't know. Is this the most anticipated game league-wide all year? Um, I think so. You know, th- there is not a single thing that I don't love about this game, about this matchup, you know, except that no fans will be there. You know, we like we, we can have a debate about who the league's two best quarterbacks are, right? Like, I would argue that it's Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Um, I also believe that Russell Wilson is, you know, somehow underrated after the career he's had. Um, you know, he just is so dang creative, smart, probably throws the best deep ball in the league. So, look, if you want to put Wilson in your top five or top two, I mean, you know, then fine, right? Um, But I feel pretty damn certain that Mahomes and Jackson are the two most exciting quarterbacks. You know, they're the ones that are most likely to do something that makes you believe in magic, right? We talk about uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs enough here. So, um, you know, just real quick, let's go through with the Ravens. And I'm telling you guys, the Lamar Jackson tape, it looks fake. When he tucks it, he has this way of running toward the sideline, almost like a 45 degree angle upfield, which, you know, only he can do that because, you know, normal humans need to run perpendicular to the sideline, right, to get to that edge. But Lamar is so fast, he can cut that corner a bit, which, you know, that's a dual purpose there of, you know, that's gaining subtle yards before that cut. And it also makes that cut upfield even more explosive. Like, you know how one of the tricks of Tyreek Hill is, you know, he can explode from those cuts. You know, he, he can turn without slowing down. It looks like a video game sometimes. Or, you know, sometimes he even looks to be speeding up when, when he makes that cut. Lamar Jackson does the exact same thing, except he's a quarterback and he's a really good passer, too. You know, it's absurd, the questions on him out of college, you know, about whether he could stay at the position, whether he was a good enough passer. He completed 66.1% in his first full season as a starter, and he is at 77.6% through two weeks. Now, you know, the Ravens help him out. Um, That's a really good coaching staff. They have some weapons, including Lamar's legs, right, that that open up passing lanes. But, you know, guys, he's throwing darts. Um, He had one against the Browns in week one, and, you know, I gift this in the the minutes this week, but he sort of just like casually short arms this ball 30 yards downfield to Willie Sneed. It's just over the head of one D back. Uh, just in front of another, you know, touchdown. It, it was so, it was perfect. Um, it was so good. Cannot be improved upon. You know, three years ago, people were wondering if he could cut it. I, I'm telling you, um, he is throwing it and seeing the field so well that if he had like, <laughs> you know, the, the statue athleticism that John Elway seeks in his quarterbacks, right? I still think Lamar Jackson would be a damn good quarterback. <laughs> Did I mention I'm excited for this game? Um, I, I do have to be honest though. Like, I don't think the Chiefs are going to win. You know, this just, it feels like the Ravens moment. They're, they're playing so well. Um, two specific things I'm going to be looking for. The first is the Ravens' ability to cut off the long passes. 
The Texans and the Chargers have had some success doing that against the Chiefs. You know, the Texans committed defenders deep. Um, the Chargers just beat up the Chiefs line and, and got in Mahomes' face. The Ravens have a good collection of pass rushers. Uh, Clay's Campbell is a stud, but they're also a little bit banged up in the secondary. Um, so that's an interesting thing to watch. The second, uh, I want to see if the Ravens finally become the team to commit fully to the run against the Chiefs. Not just to keep Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey and everybody else on the sideline, but because the Chiefs haven't stopped the run in three years. And, you know, the, the Ravens are uniquely equipped to do this. Uh, the game's best run game. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm expecting 30, I don't know, maybe even 40 called runs. You know, one important thing on both of those factors is who gets that early lead. But, um, you know, look, like like I said, I'm expecting the Ravens to win this, you know, 30, 27, something like that. But, you know, honestly, nothing would surprise me. Absolutely nothing from this game. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Okay, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, uh, this podcast is now free, but that does not mean I'm not going to ask you to join us behind the paywall. Uh, you know, we work hard to bring you information and perspectives that you can't get in other places. Vahe is going to be in Baltimore um, on Monday to watch that game. I believe he's going to be the only Kansas City media person there um, to, to bring you what it feels like in that stadium. Same way that him and Blair were the only people from Kansas City at the game in, in L.A. against the Chargers on Sunday. Uh, I, I hope we're worth your time. I, I hope it inspires you to subscribe to our work to support us. You, you can get everything we do in sports for $30 for a year. It is the best deal in town. Reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email and I will send you the link. Um, okay, a quick break here and then we will be back with some questions. Uh, if you'd like to participate in next week's show, which will post on Friday, um, obviously after Chiefs Ravens and ahead of Chiefs Patriots, which is another really interesting matchup, uh, please call 816-234-4365. Uh, leave your name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Um, put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365, 816-234-4365. Okay, uh, quick break, and then we are back with those questions. Sam, this is uh, Mike from Pella, Iowa. Question for you. Uh, how much responsibility do you think Pat Mahomes shares with the tackles in Sunday's poor offensive line play? I'm no expert, but it looks like there was a pocket to step up into on several of those dropbacks during the first half. Thanks. Appreciate it. Bye. Mike, uh, I agree with you. You know, more importantly, I think Patrick Mahomes would agree with you. Uh, you know, offensive linemen tend to be noticed only when the guy they're blocking makes a play, right? Uh, but there's a lot that goes into it, including the quarterback's responsibility that, you know, that starts pre-snap, really, uh, making sure the protection calls are right. That was actually one of the things his coaches and linemen praised him most for uh, in 2018 and again through last season, just his continued improvement with that stuff. You know, offensive line play is complicated. I learn something every time I hear a pro or a coach talk about the intricacies involved there. But at least by my eye, um, the problem on Sunday wasn't with those protection calls. It, it, it was two things. One was guys just getting beat. And usually that was, you know, Bosa and Ingram coming on the edges against Mitch Schwartz and, and Eric Fisher. Um, and look, like Bosa and Ingram are going to beat a lot of guys. There, there's, <laughs> there's no shame in that. But the other thing, Mike, is, is just kind of what you mentioned here. Mahomes drifts. 
that is an old habit um, I've always assumed from his Texas Tech days. And he came by it honestly there because, you know, the protection often wasn't there and the routes often required a lot of time. He's improved on that in the NFL, which is no small thing. But it's still a thing that he does. And, you know, this doesn't absolve those guys up front of getting beat. But it's hard enough to block these just freak athletes one-on-one. And it's just dang near impossible if you think you're protecting a spot seven yards behind the line of scrimmage, but your quarterback goes back, you know, 10 or 11. You know, now the the nuance doesn't stop there. You know, sometimes a quarterback drifts because the interior of the line is is getting pushed back. You know, sometimes he just doesn't trust the protection. And, you know, he feels like he needs that extra half second or whatever to get the throw off. But if the quarterback and line aren't together on exactly where he's going to be, then, yeah, you know, it creates some problems. Again, this isn't new. Uh, Mahomes has had periods of this in the past. He's open about it. He pledges to correct it, and he always has. I'm curious what this looks like on Monday, you know, because the Ravens have another strong front, you know, led by Clays Campbell. You know, this is way too early to freak out, right? Um, Let's say that straight up. But it it does seem like the tackles are getting beat more often than we're used to seeing. You know, Schwartz got beat one-on-one early in the Texans game, maybe even the first play. And it happened a little against the Chargers, too. Again, I'm not freaking out. The Chiefs line is generally, you know, top half of the league in pass protection. Uh, Pro Football Focus had them 12th overall before the season, you know, whatever that's worth. But, um, you know, this is something to keep an eye on. So, okay, uh, here's another Chiefs question. uh, And I thought this was an interesting perspective. Hi, this is Nita Davis. And uh, I was wanting to know... Um, as the, I saw the frustration in the game Sunday against the Chargers, and it got me to thinking, as Mahomes' knowledge of the game continues to expand, do you believe it will change his leadership style? Can he continue to be this positive as he's shown in the past once he fully comprehends what his fellow teammates could and should have done or what he himself could or should have done? Thanks. Rita, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, all we can do is speculate, obviously. Uh, none of us know how our own perspectives will change over time, right? Um, let alone somebody else's. But I do think at least two things here. Um, I think he'll evolve. And I also think that he'll stay true to who he is. You know, Mahomes is a, he's just a naturally positive person. I think that probably comes through when he's interviewed on TV. There's a lot of energy, a lot of smiles, but it's also how people know him away from the cameras. You know, I'm not just talking about his teammates now, but, you know, friends he grew up with. He smiles easily. His first inclination on most questions is to agree. He talks constantly of getting better, lifting up his teammates. I, I do believe that from, you know, sort of a macro level, like broad strokes view, the, the general leadership personality will maintain. Um, But as he evolves, as he gets older, um, you know, of course, I think we'll see different sides. And, you know, let's be clear that he's already evolved some, you know, like he's already different than he was, you know, that first start in Denver three years ago. Um, He's already showed himself more comfortable or, you know, more willing to sort of get in a teammate's face. You know, those kinds of actions are earned. And if I can just make up a term, um, Mahomes has a different level of football capital right now or, um, you know, leadership bona fides or whatever than he did, you know, before the Super Bowl or before the MVP. You know, it's also worth remembering, like, um, you know, Mahomes did not walk into this blindly. You know, he did not just um, decide to become an NFL quarterback and a leader. You know, like when if you go back to when he was in Lubbock at Texas Tech, when the when the idea first popped up about him skipping his senior year at Tech for the draft, Latroy Hawkins, his godfather, the the first response um, when Latroy heard this was to ask Patrick if he was ready to lead grown men 
It wasn't about, you know, can you make the throws? It wasn't about the work or anything like that. It was like, can you lead grown men? And the response that Latroy heard was immediate. Um, you know, that was the first hurdle that he needed to clear. You know, somebody close to him told me a story once. Um, I think gets at this a bit. Um, you know, Mahomes grew up around, you know, top shelf athletes, obviously. You know, his dad played 11 years in the big leagues. Hawkins pitched 20. You know, but the, the story goes that before he ever got to the NFL, uh, before Mahomes ever got to this point, you know, the message was clear. If you get to a certain level of achievement and you're the star, you're the leader and your team falls short, you know, nobody's going to put it on the number nine hitter. Right. Uh, nobody's going to blame the backup running back. It's going to be on you, which means that you better act and lead and demand accordingly. Um, so I do think that we'll see more of that come out over the years. And, um, you know, but look, there, there's two keys to doing that. Right. Um, the first is that the leader has to produce. Um, you know, there's that old saying, you can't lead from the bench. And, uh, you know, the second is that the leader has to be willing to work harder and do more than he's demanding from everyone else. And, you know, so those are the boxes, you know, produce, work hard. Then you can lead and be as hard as, as you want. Um, and right now, Mahomes is checking those boxes. No careers go exactly how you expect, but it's it's kind of hard to imagine either of those changing soon, right? So, okay, look, um, <laughs> this next question, like, I, I love all my children equally, right? Uh, but this might be my favorite question in the history of this podcast. Hey, Sam, this is Phil from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, former resident of the Kansas City area. And I was 10 years old when the Chiefs won their Super Bowl back in 1970. I was uh, that's when I became a Chiefs fan. So it's been 50 long years of despair and disappointment. And so it was great when the Chiefs won uh, again after 50 years, and I'm turning 60. And I'm just thinking the lifespan, the average lifespan of a American male is what, about 75? And I'm assuming that Pat Mahomes is going to be good for another 10, 15 years, and that puts me up to age 75. So... I guess what I'm saying is it's not really a question but a statement that the Chiefs aren't going to be bad again until I die. And that's a really good feeling. It puts me at peace. Have a great day. You should all be on notice. You are chasing Phil uh, now and probably forever. Um, there's nothing I can do to improve upon this. Uh, let's just take a short break and come back with some Chiefs Ravens talk. Okay, uh, straight up, I have not looked forward to a regular season NFL game this much since, I mean, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe like when I was a kid and felt like I could sneak out of my room late at night to watch Bo Jackson on Monday night. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Chiefs and the Ravens prime time. And, you know, of course, I wish there were going to be fans in the stands, but my goodness, this is going to be fun. Um, we talked a lot about the reasons at the top. So let's just get to the conversation here with the voice of the Ravens. If you don't know him, his name is Jerry Sandusky. And before you raise your eyebrows, he is no relation to the former Penn State assistant coach. OK, uh, none. Just a bad coincidence. Um, Jerry spells it with a G and he is the sports director at WBAL-TV in Baltimore and the Ravens radio play-by-play -play guy. He's their Mitch Holtis, basically, widely respected throughout the sport. So, OK, uh, with the intro aside, here's a conversation we had this week. Um, I really appreciate the insight on what sure as heck feels like the rivalry that will define the next decade of the NFL, um, or at least the AFC? So I guess for obvious reasons, uh, last year, the first two weeks of the season have been 
paying a lot of attention to the Ravens, you know, yeah. um, probably more than um, any team other than the Chiefs. And uh, I, I get that Lamar led the league in touchdown passes and was terrific in the in the pocket and all that. But um, just the first two weeks, he seems even better throwing the ball. Do you do you agree? He- he he does look better, and, and the big the big difference you see in Lamar, and I think you saw last year with Mahomes, is the first two years in the league they're learning about the offense. Now year three they they've learned about the defense. So yeah, they know they know what the defense is doing. They, they have a feel for okay, they're showing cover two, but they're rotating into cover one, so the flat's going to be open. Mm-hmm. They have a feel for if pressure if blitz pressures are from my right, then I know what. So all those things that they weren't thinking about their first two years, they're thinking about now. And I think that's why you saw it with Mahomes last year and we're seeing it with Lamar this year where they're just, you know, aside from the statistics, you can just kind of the, the eye test. They just look like they're better quarterbacks. Yeah, he, he threw a pass, um, and I, I think it was against the Texans, but maybe it was the first week, but um, to Willie Sneed, the touchdown to Sneed, it was kind of between three or four defenders. Um that was one of those plays where I was watching it and it just like made me like scream, <laughs> you know, yeah. just like, Oh my God. Um, is, is that a pass that you saw him make last year? No. Matter of fact, yeah. that was one of the, that was one of the big points of improvement that everybody knew the Ravens were going to have to make with Lamar this year to avoid defenses being able to completely suffocate the run game. Mm-hmm. It was, it was the deep pass down the seam and then the passes outside the numbers. That's where yeah. he was not nearly as efficient a year ago, and this year we're seeing it's just a tremendous improvement from what we saw in his first year and a half as a starter. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, too, um, you know, we, we all look at these things through our own, like, personal lenses, right? And um, I, I remember after the Chiefs lost that overtime game in the AFC Championship to to the Patriots, that whole offseason was just, like, obsessive about, you know, kind of the next step. And uh, I, I'm just wondering, you know, 14-2 and two and then – you know, they lose the playoff game. I was just wondering, like, what what is this off season? What is the first couple of weeks? What, you know, sort of, what are guys talking? Is, is that a big thing about, you know, people don't believe in us. We we didn't get it done last year. Let's do better now. I think it was. I think the first week or two was pure shock. Just you know, home field advantage, top seed, fourteen and two, twelve game win streak, and then thud. So yeah. I think the first couple of weeks, guys were just kind of like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, there was a meteor just hit us. And then after that, it was that feeling of, look, it's not the 14 and 2 doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, if you go 14 and 2 and then you're one and done in the playoffs, that's what people remember. So we have to, you know, I think, I think the players feeling was, was we've got to come back and be good enough to be 14 and 2 again, but be a whole lot better than we've been in January the past two years. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're going to miss our, our window. We're going to miss our place in history. And, you know, nobody remembers the teams that were 14-2 and two that didn't get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, or if they do, they don't remember them fondly, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they, they become the Marty Schottenheimer teams. Yeah, yeah. We, we know a little something about that here. Um, right. And, 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 I mean, and I mean, no disrespect to Marty. He was a great no, I get it. Yeah. They were great teams. Yeah. But if you don't get to February, you're, you're just not remembered as the great teams. Totally. Um, how much of that is fair to put on Lamar? You know, I don't know whether fair is the is the word to use or not, because Lamar has already learned that in this league, the head coach and the quarterback get too much credit and too much blame, and that's why they probably get too much money too. It's just it's part it's part of the it's part of the job description. You know, you you, you either become 
the most celebrated guy or you become the guy who's most criticized. It's, it, yeah. it comes with being the guy who's the ball touches his hands first. Yeah. Um, you know, like both these teams are good enough that, you know, the regular season is sort of, you the, know, the only notable thing in the regular season that could happen is if they don't make the playoffs, right? Like these teams both have goals beyond that. Um, but still, I mean, I've been looking forward to this game all off season. It was like when, when the NFL was kind of, you know, we, we weren't sure if we were going to have football. Uh, this is one of those things that I was just going to desperately miss. Uh, did the Ravens, did, do those guys look at the game that way as a measuring stick, or is it more, you know, this is 16 games and by what happens in January? I think, you know, on the surface, you'll get the 16-game speech. But even John Harbaugh this week, he said, look, who doesn't love a game like this? I mean, whether yeah. you're a fan or a coach or a player, you know, this is why you do this. So I, yeah. I think they're going to fully embrace it because it, it's not like the Chiefs blew them out the last two years. It's not like, you sure. know, there was there was a dirty play, that there's you know, there a bloodbath. It's not like this is a you know Raven Steelers have a heated hated rivalry. Those were two amazing games that could have gone either way, and the Chiefs found a way to win them. And so the Ravens know to be where the Chiefs were last February. They they're, they're going to have to take certain steps, and one of those steps is beating the Chiefs in the regular season. And this week is the opportunity to do that. You can't win the Super Bowl this week, but you can take a step in that direction emotionally, strategically, and. Here's the other part. What was the last time you remember a week three game that you knew had playoff implications <laughs> for home field advantage? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I, I've always thought the Ravens, um, and look, they're beat, they're, they're built to beat a lot of teams, but, um, I just, the way the depth at running back and, you know, the versatility in that game and, um, and the quarterback's ability to even throw it downfield and you got some speed on the, on the outside, they just seem like, you know, constructed in a way to beat the Chiefs, especially with that ground game. Do, do you see it that way as well? I mean, I know that, I'm saying that, and the Chiefs have won the two games, but um, do you right. see it that way that they have some strengths that can really give the Chiefs some problems? I really did until the injury to Tavon Young last week. That's mm-hmm. the one that has me just, oh, there's, a, there's a kind of a gut punch when you lose Tavon Young because the good news is the Ravens have some depth in, sec- in the secondary. But when they had Tavon Young, I thought they were perfectly matched to your passing game in Kansas yeah. City. And now when you lose Tavon Young, you've got to juggle some things back there. You've got to decide. You're probably the combination. Do you put Jimmy Smith at corner and give him more work than you really want and move Marlon Humphrey in a slot? And if you do that, you miss, you miss out on the matchup that they've really developed this summer with putting Jimmy Smith on the tight end. So, you know, with Tavon Young, you had the guy for the slot and you had the guy – for Travis Kelsey, which is a really tough combination when you're playing the Chiefs. Now, yeah. without Tavon Young, if you put Anthony Averett out there and just go straight replacement, Anthony Averett for Tavon Young, Pat Mahomes is going to find Anthony Averett. And, and, and I mean nothing against Anthony Averett. I just don't know that you want to put him out there for 70 plays against that passing game. So, Wink Martindale is going to have to do some creative things. He's going to have to mix and match and not make it easy for Pat Mahomes to see where the void created by the injury to Tavon Young is. So he doesn't attack that all day. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chiefs have had their their problems on um, on that side of the ball too with injuries. Um, we we, I, we still don't know if Charvarius Ward is going to be back, but they they're missing some guys. Um, but you know more than that, I've just um, I may be an island of one here, but I, I've been waiting for a team to just overload with on the uh, on the ground. Um, the Chiefs haven't stopped the run in like three or four years. Um, could we see something like that? Uh, of Joe, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Do, do you expect I mean, that from Baltimore? I, I kind of do because yeah. the Chiefs are giving up 150 yards a game. Yeah. And and it's not that's not like, oh, you know, last year they gave up 80 yards a game. You know, they struggled until the latter part of the season. Now, they, I thought they were really good against the run in the playoffs. They got it uh-huh. together. But in the regular season, they have not been a great run defense. The Ravens have a great run offense. So I think, you know, if you're looking at a straight matchup, and I like to look at these like I'm not from Baltimore or I'm, you're not from Kansas City. Just like let's pretend we're from, I don't know, we're from San Diego. Yeah. And so you look at this game completely objectively. As, as much as I've seen tremendous improvement in the Ravens passing game, and Lamar's a great passer now, I don't know that I want to go toe-to-toe for Baltimore with Kansas City in the passing game because of what Pat Mahomes can do with, with, with Tyreek and, and with, with, with Kelsey. And, and, like, you just, you know, you don't go toe-to-toe with, with, the, with the team that's the best at what they do. That means you got to do your best, which is the run game. And I think for the Ravens, the key is dominating the run game dominating the clock, and playing with the lead. Now, all that said, who's better in the NFL than coming back from a double-digit deficit than Pat Mahomes? But I'd much rather force Mahomes to come back from a double-digit deficit than give him a lead and try to play in his game. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I wonder, you know, look, the, the Chiefs looked really good week one against the Texans uh, and then not as good um, last week against uh, against the Chargers. I'm just wondering, like, Outside of the the Kansas City bubble, right? Like where it's it's viewed here as either, um, you know, my God, like what can't this guy do? And no lead is safe, and and all those things. Or, um, you know, gosh, they got to clean this stuff up because you can't you can't go through 16 games plus the playoffs, you know, relying on that. I'm just wondering, like, you know, from the perspective of Baltimore, the Ravens, how how is that viewed? I think it's viewed the way people view the Ravens. Like everybody knows the Ravens want to run the read option. Okay, so let's let's scheme to stop the read option. It's easier said than done. Everybody saw the Chargers did a great job of getting pass rush pressure and they were in Mahomes' face all day. But the Chargers did it with four defensive linemen. Yeah. There aren't there aren't many teams that can do that, and the Ravens are not one of those teams. The Ravens have not had great base defense pass rush. Their pass rush the past couple of seasons has come from blitz pressure. When you blitz Pat Mahomes, he knows where you're blitzing from. And he could find the open space. The key to the Chargers was they had seven. They had seven in coverage almost the entire day. And they had people in Mahomes' face. And look, whether you're Tom Brady, Pat Mahomes, Peyton Manning, Archie Manning, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, <laughs> if you use that combination, they're going to have a subpar day. Nobody yeah. likes to get hit by guys that weigh 300 pounds, especially not, you know, 35 times a game. So, yeah, that's the war. Yeah, absolutely. That's the formula. That's how you, 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 Come close to being the Chiefs. Do you have Nick Bosa? Do you have a four-man front that can get pressure without blitz pressure? Not many teams do. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a, it's threading the needle when it comes to strategy. Yeah, that will work, but can you do it? Yeah, can you pull it off? That, that was always the thing with the Patriots for dang near twenty years, right? Like, how do you beat them? You get pressure with four. And it's like, well, <laughs> you can beat anybody. <laughs> you know, exactly, you can get pressure with four. Uh, one of the other things I remember. Um, so distinctly about that game at Arrowhead last year was um, what was it four did the the Ravens went for four fourth downs and three two point conversions I think or maybe it's the other way around um, I, I know that Harbaugh's been aggressive he's been um, you know believes in the numbers right in the, uh, in the metrics on that do, do you expect that again a lot of if if they've got fourth and one fourth and two they're going for it 
Yeah, I expect that every week from them. We saw it last week. You know, the Ravens yeah. had a, a fourth down in the fourth quarter, and they went to, you know, direct snap to Mark Ingram, who ran 30 yards for a touchdown. When, when they had unbalanced line to the left, they telegraphed where they were going. They telegraphed what they were doing, and they did it. So yeah. I, that's, that's their mindset. That's their philosophy. John does very much believe in the, in the, in the metrics, the data, the data science on fourth down, but it's, it's grown more than that. It's part of the culture. It's, it's part of the offensive mindset. And it started last week on the, uh, last year rather on the road in Seattle when they were facing a fourth down, tough place to win. Lamar Jackson came to the sideline. Harbaugh was going to kick the field goal and Lamar looked at him and said, coach, let's, no, let's go for this. We can get this. And Marshall Yonda was right there. And Harbaugh turned to Yonda, and Yonda said, if Lamar believes it, I believe it. And Harbaugh said, all right, let's go for it. See, and that to me, I, I love that because that's not just following the science blindly. That's having a sense of here our guys believe they can do it. Whether the math says yay or nay, our guys believe it, we're doing it. And so that's where the culture evolves, and that's very much the mindset. So, yeah, fourth down and, and one, I expect them to go for it this week, but I expect them to go for it every week. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, do, do you have a feeling? It's a, I think unless it's changed, it's a three and a half point line. Last I saw. Do you, do you have a feeling? You know what? There, there's a couple things I never do. I never look at the line. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm I'm not a better, so it doesn't mean anything to me. And and I don't make predictions, largely because I don't want to make the mistake of broadcasting the game I expect to see. Yeah. And 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 with a game like this, look, there's a lot of expectations. And it's easy to fall for that trap. We've seen some wild shootouts. It wouldn't surprise me to see a low-scoring game where, where both teams are just trying to punch and fill each other and let defense dictate and, and wait for that shot. Because I, I think if there's one thing we know, there's going to be a play late in the game that wins the game for one of these two teams. And so really it's a function of do you want that play to come in a, in a score that's 35-34 or do you want it to come in, in a score that's 24-21? Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really, but but it's, I think it, that's what we've seen from these two teams. Because how do you stop Travis Kelsey when it's when it's third and three? Yeah. How do you stop Lamar when it's third and one and he's running the read option? This, you know, how do you stop Pat Mahomes when he finds the open and he, and, he, and he's running out of the pocket and extending the play? You know, there's certain things you cannot scheme for that we're going to see, and it's going to come down in those moments to players making plays, and and that's yeah. the part where you know whether you're an odds maker. Whether you are, you know, whether you are a prognosticator, you can't predict when those moments are going to come and what those guys are going to do. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of like not being able to predict anything, it's <laughs> everything changes so fast in the NFL. But um, wouldn't you be surprised? Or I'm not going to put it on you, but I would be very, very surprised if, if this is not, you know, Pat is 25, Lamar's what 20? Is he 24? Um, you know, they both got MVP awards. Um, they both have like very good head coaches and, and organizations and all these things. I mean, doesn't it feel like these guys are like, this is the, the, the Brady Manning of the next totally, 10 Totally feels that way. I, I've said that. If you look, if you go back and look at NFL history, every 10 year period has that matchup and yeah. it always has two great quarterbacks. You know, like you go, you know, if you go back in the day, you know, you had, you know, think of some of the great matchups. You know, you had Johnny Unitas and Bart Starr. Yeah. You know, Colts package, and that was you know that was a rivalry for, for for many 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 years. And then you know you fast forward, you had you know had things like uh, you know the AFL had 
you know, the Mad Bomber Daryl LaMonica, you know, when, when he came into the NFL, and, and then you had, you know, you had obviously the Manning and and and, and uh, Brady, but you've always had those Ali Frazier's, I call them, mm-hmm. the two greats, and and it's not just a one-time thing. What makes it so powerful is that it's going to last for ten years. You know, knock on wood, both these guys stay healthy and have long careers. Yeah, they have. They're both part of great organizations that know how to build around them. So that's what sets it up for a decade. You know, these aren't these aren't fluke guys. I I, I like to point out, Andy Reid had a good quarterback in Alex Smith, but yeah. he saw the future in Pat Mahomes. Yeah. The Ravens had a certain path they were going, and then Lamar Jackson became available late in the first round of the draft, and they changed their entire offensive scheme to suit him. So both players have organizations that get it. That says every 10 years, the league's going to find a way for these two teams to play in the regular season. Yeah, like I feel like late Monday night, uh, I was just going to start looking forward to the playoff games. Between oh, the games. We, all, we all are. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Look, it's is it going to be in Kansas City? Is it going to be in Baltimore? Because you just right. feel like that's that's the, the like the destiny of these two teams. Yeah, yeah. You know, Raiders, yeah. Raiders, Steelers. That, that's the one I was going for. You know, uh, uh, Bradshaw and the you know, Steelers against Kenny Stabler and the Raiders for you mm-hmm. know for so long. Like that, you just know those guys are going to be there. Yeah, yeah. It'll be fun. Um, it'll be fun. Yeah, I, I appreciate your time. Hey, my pleasure. Great talking with you. Okay, thanks again to Jerry. Uh, I thought he brought up a lot of great points, particularly in the problems the Ravens might have covering in the back and the problems they'll present if they fully commit to the run against the Chiefs defense. Um, you know, that's the show this week. Thank you for listening. I uh, hope we're worth your time. And if I can impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, and reviewing. It really helps us get the word out. Thanks as always to Randy Mason and Savannah Smith for putting this together. Uh, Thanks to everyone who called in. Thanks to Jerry for the time and perspective. And the biggest thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, Let's do it again next week. Have a good weekend. Be kind.